Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Today's episode is titled, Hope in Creative Thinking. And today I'll be speaking with Jennifer Donaldson of Taylor Joy Tutoring. Jennifer Donaldson hopes her life is a window for seeing the joy that comes from loving God and loving people. And her business name is Taylor Joy. She has worked as an educator teaching elementary school, subbing at all grade levels in regular and in special education, and doing private tutoring. Jennifer retired from the classroom when her aging parents needed more care and she became a private tutor. Her favorite part of teaching is when she can see the light come on for a student as they grin with joy. She always opens her doors to friends and strangers. People will tell you that she is often asking intentional questions to get people thinking and talking. Jennifer aspires to be a digital nomad and COVID-19 has helped her to move her business online and she now offers a hybrid approach to tutoring. You can contact Jennifer Donaldson through her website, education.taylorjoy.com. I'm so happy to have Jennifer on our show today and to talk about hope and creative thinking. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Psalm 145 verses 9 and 10. I am so happy to have my friend and our son's former tutor and just a wonderful treasure in our community, Jennifer Donaldson, who owns Taylor Joy Tutoring. Jennifer, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you, Natalie. It's great to be um, in a conversation with you. (laughs) And today's topic is something that we both, I think, are passionate about helping kids and and teens tap into that creative thinking, that that beautiful thinking that they have that we can turn, uh, help them turn into their gift and help them turn into what they want to do later on down the road. Being compassionate and creative when it comes to helping people who learn differently doesn't really seem like a big deal to me. It feels kind of natural. It's what my parents taught me. Loving God and loving people is my passion. In order to have a little bit more time to help care for my family about seven years ago, I started thinking about what could I do that wasn't full-time teaching. I needed a job with flexible hours. And so I decided to start my own education business to tutor and to write curriculum. Um, When I transitioned from being a classroom teacher to a private teacher, which I love one-on-one tutoring, Um, I did notice that a lot more kids were defeated and discouraged because um, compassion and creativity doesn't come naturally to all teachers and caregivers. Not all schools are willing or able to differentiate um, in the classroom to the degree that some students need. So when I decided to work in private tutoring, I advertised my experience with children of various learning disabilities. For example, I have a little bit of experience with Down syndrome autism, nonverbal kids, executive function disorder, ADD, ADHD, medical needs, 
stroke recovery aphasia, and gifted kids with learning disabilities. Because I'm willing to think outside the box, in my classroom, I've always had students with a wide range of abilities in my regular ed class. Um, I also, along with classroom teaching in elementary, I did a few years of substitute teaching. Um, and a lot of times I chose ID mod and ID severe classrooms because I'd heard that not many people actually chose to sub there, which I don't know why, because I loved it. <laughs> I love the kids and I love the other um, teachers there. So as you can hear me say, I'm not really an expert in any one particular area, but I am more than willing to learn. So every year of my classroom teaching, I think it just added to my toolbox as I experienced students with different learning needs. Um, kind of like when I met your son, uh, Nick. Um, I had experience of, with kids with uh, executive functioning difficulties and kids who needed extra time, but I'd never actually read a book on FASD until you, Natalie, <laughs> gave me one to read. Um, I think you guys affectionately refer to it as the purple book. <laughs> I enjoy seeing kids find some aspect of learning that excites them or brings them joy and confidence. And so when I tutor, a client's just like a puzzle for me to figure out what are their strengths? What are their needs? What works well? Where can I get creative and try something new? So I really love my job of private tutoring, um, like I've said, because it's one-on-one. -on -one. And currently, um, it is in-person or online. It's not a whole classroom full of students where I have to prioritize for the whole group. But if I had not had that experience in the classroom where I had to find creative ways to teach the same objective to a room full of different abilities, I would not have nearly as much compassion and creativity as I do now. Even my business name, Taylor Joy, reflects that. I choose to tailor joy in my everyday living and in my tutoring. Celebrating success when the light bulb comes on and the learning happens. Thinking outside the box to find that light switch. In our talk today, I think you'll hear me give tips for both the student and the parents and teachers. In order to promote creativity in students, you have to get creative yourself and think outside the box. And I think we had previously discussed that a lot of the tweaking and strategy making falls on the parents and, and the caregivers because we obviously can't change our child's brain or the way that they're wired. So we are the ones that need to make the accommodations. That's one of the many things I love about your approach in teaching and tutoring. So let's talk about the difference between when a teacher or when a parent focuses on deficits versus focusing on the strengths of a child. Well, every person you and me included, has areas of strengths and weaknesses. Weaknesses are often more pronounced in children with brain-based differences. And as parents and teachers, we have to focus on supporting all dimensions of a child's well-being and growth. We can foster hope when we recognize and appropriately complement a child's strengths. It doesn't mean that we're not striving towards improving the weak areas or that we're downplaying the obvious but it means we can find balance in our focus. Learning needs fluctuate and support will vary over time. Keeping our response and our expectations balanced will allow us to navigate those changes. Overemphasizing the strengths is just as harmful as focusing on the weaknesses. Focusing on the deficit just drains hope. It's why most IEP meetings actually start with stating the strengths of a child. 
putting the whole child in perspective is important. It's why setting a few goals is way better than working on too many. When parents come to me to get tutoring for their children, one question I often ask is, what's your goal for the next four to six weeks? It helps us be on the same page, but it also makes that time realistic. I've heard all those areas of strengths and weaknesses, but now I need to help you focus on one or two goals, not 20. What can we fix for tomorrow? Then it's usually best to try to find one measurable goal to work on using a strength that the child already has. Families are quite aware of weaknesses, so let's take some time to celebrate the strengths so we have renewed energy and hope to work on those weaknesses and to advocate for our children. Studies show that weaknesses can actually sometimes become areas of strength. Parents and teachers play a vital role in how a child views himself. So celebrating those strengths is helpful. Hyperfocus and high energy isn't a weakness in all careers. Pushing boundaries can lead to innovations. I like to refer to hyperfocus sometimes as like a superpower mm-hmm. because it's really, especially if it's something that a child or a teen is really interested in, say something like computers or something like uh, working with their hands, it actually becomes a strength because they're just focusing all of their energy on that particular thing. And it gives them more endurance. It gives the the child or the teen more endurance. So I love, I love that analogy. Jennifer, let's talk about some simple strategies that parents and teachers and caregivers can use to learn the gifts and the strengths in their child. Well, I'd say first pour a big cup of coffee and then watch your child. What do they love doing? What will they spend their time on? What section of the library do they repeatedly go to? What room of the museum do they want to stay in? What are they curious about? If you think that they're unable to focus on anything, maybe you're just not watching close enough. Ask them how they would like to spend a free day, inside or outside. Think about their birthday wish list in a new way. What are they communicating? What toys do they love to play with at a friend's house that they don't have at home? Pour yourself a second cup of coffee, pick up your phone, and ask a close friend or relative what they think your child's gifts are. Sometimes we are too close to the situation or we're too focused on the weaknesses that we really just can't focus on the gifts. If they are laser focused on only two things and you want to explore what other gifts they might have, You could try some simple short-term like classes or some of those activity boxes you can buy. Pre-COVID, many of our community centers offered like cooking classes and theater classes and intro to sports classes and music classes. It may be difficult at first to start a new activity or to identify what makes them curious or enthused, but don't let that keep you from trying new things. This is true for all of us. Your child may be very gifted in some area that you just haven't explored yet. For you, Natalie, I don't think you would have seen Nick's woodworking gifts or some of his computer coding skills at a really young age, but what a great find that has been for your family. Absolutely. And thinking about that, you know, he has always been great with his hands and he always picks out details that 
you know, my husband and I were like, wow. So I can definitely see when he was younger, what his interests were tied into what you and I have seen as he's gotten older in both his woodworking and computer and coding and whatnot. What are some ways that parents and teachers can meet the student, the child, the teen, where they're at developmentally by using or with creative thinking? Well, knowing your child's strengths and weaknesses can help you meet a child where they're at. The nice part about meeting a child where they're at in the creative thinking is that there's less developmental milestones of comparison with the creative side, right? We often compare developmental milestones of children on the playground, even unconsciously, but we look more at artistic and musical skills with awe at someone's ability and less judgment on those who aren't at the same level. There's much more freedom, I think, to explore creative thinking at any level. I also want to take just a minute right here when we're talking about developmental um, stages to just talk briefly about some words. Independent level is a word that we use and we think about what a child or a person or a teen can do alone. Instructional level is what stretches them. And frustrational level is too far ahead. And that's what defeats students and teachers. But finding ways to help them stretch and grow means I know what their independent level is. I know what they can do by themselves. And I want to stretch them. So I work at that instructional level. I find out what stretches them just to the edge of that frustrational level. And then we stop. And I think sometimes when we don't meet people where they're at developmentally, we just throw them into that frustrational level because we haven't taken time to think about where they're at developmentally. And on a previous episode, a guest had spoken about how often with kids and teens, especially teens and young adults that have a developmental disability, how we try to push them too fast. And they just may need to be at that independent level for a longer period of time because they're mastering it. And we so often try to say, oh, you know, you can be promoted now because you do this so well. But with our kids that are wired differently or our teens that, you know, have developmental disabilities, it's best to let them, I think it's best to let them enjoy that independent level because it will build their confidence. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree. And I would say, as you were talking, I was thinking about sometimes we think about that um, independent to instructional as like going up a ladder. Yeah. But sometimes we need to just toss the ladder and look sideways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and do that. But I think too, when parents um, a lot of times come to me and say, my kid needs more books to read. All they want to read is this same book over and over and over again. Well, you know, we need to let them enjoy at that independent level. And then there's always a time and place later where we stretch them at that instructional level. We pull out the harder book, we try it together, but we can always let them go back and read that book that's on their independent level because that's where the joy comes in. That's where they're building their confidence. And pretty soon they'll be at the next level and that'll be their new independent level. And we almost might not have even seen that jump. So definitely you're right. Letting people find um, and be at their independent level is definitely a good thing to do. 
So that's a good takeaway from this conversation is when you discover your child or teens or young adults independent level in in a certain skill or a certain area of, of their life, let them enjoy that for a while, you know, and don't be in a hurry to push them because you're allowing them to master that skill. And you're also allowing them to build confidence, which we know with our kids is so paramount. It's, it's such a huge thing. Let's talk about creative thinking, which is our our topic. How is creative thinking important in learning, especially with those with a developmental disability? Well, creative thinking is growth in kids and in adults. For example, if you're listening to this podcast because maybe the title intrigued you, you're doing professional development on your own right now. You are thinking and growing. A lot of creative thinking is improvising. Try something new. It may or may not work. It may be a great idea, but the wrong time. Or it might just be a flop. Oh well, sometimes those have been my most creative moments. When something flops and I have to try something different. I engage students sometimes in helping me come up with a new idea. When they see something hasn't worked and I just tell them it didn't work. They feel like they're a part of the team and they see things differently than me or even brainstorming with parents or coworkers. Creative thinking skills helps each of us solve problems that may not have easy or clear answers. Every new experience creates a new connection in our brain and kids make these connections faster than adults. If we don't repeat these connections, they'll be lost or forgotten. Providing opportunities for creative play and learning activities strengthens imagination, and it lays the groundwork for higher-level thinking skills for logical and abstract thinking. You are making these connections in the right and left side of your brain when you're problem-solving. Creativity is really important in every area of life. So help your child become a confident creator in whatever area your child is passionate about, math, science, music woodworking, or pancakes. Honestly, kids are much less inhibited by creative endeavors than adults are. Sure, maybe a child um, or a teen is going to be reluctant to try something outside their interest area. But if you can find their interest area and give them creative thinking opportunities, they may very well surprise you. We stagnate when we get too comfortable in one area. The element of surprise can unleash some creativity. I was thinking back in my classroom teaching, and if I always pair my students up in the same way, I limit their creativity. When I pair them up with unfamiliar people, um, I broaden their creativity. Mixed groups of learners can be very successful in um, small groups at church Bible studies or when I work with teens in the youth group. Or even in family gatherings, everybody knows that I'm the creative one when it comes to pairing people up. Uh, I'll use a deck of cards or I draw names or alphabetical by the last letter of your last name or by the date of your birth or any other way that I haven't used before because you've already figured me out. So just a little element of surprise can get people's brains thinking differently and creatively. Um, Math, at math time, at the table, is just math. Math in the garage is, huh, different. 
reading in the treehouse is, oh, different. All of a sudden, you've got my attention and I'm engaged. Some parents listening will wonder how to do this maybe with a child who definitely does not like disruptions to routines. And I want to be a little sensitive to that too. There's definitely no right or wrong to this except a failure to try. I love that. And I think often grown-ups, and I say that affectionately because I have a little one, but we we adults, we forget about the spontaneity and how it is a gift, how we can, if we think more like a young child, or if we think more of like, oh, hey, how can we make this fun? We can take something that may seem ordinary and make it extraordinary. So I, I love that. Continuing on creative thinking, what are some strategies for parents to incorporate creative thinking activities into home that will help them expand and grow uh, their creative thinking? Well, right now in our digital world, some kids really resist uh, activity outside, but it is a great outlet to creative and active play. Or even a rainy day for kids in the bonus room or the playroom or wherever they like to hang out without technology or TV is a really good creative boost. As parents and educators, we have to help kids make right choices. They may need extra encouragement or assistance to maximize their strength. So intentionally targeting this neuroplasticity or the brain's ability to make and reorganize connections is really key to encouraging creative and critical thinking. Research shows that fostering creativity in children with brain-based disorders can strengthen the right brain response through creative activities and thinking. Some people say that children or teens think more creatively when they're engaged in active movement. So for some students or kids, it's quite creative and very satisfying to make a really large finger painting or large mural art because it uses their whole body. Sometimes acting out like an animal or an emotion before focusing on a creative activity can help balance the brain stimulation. Let your kids design something with Legos, with a coding app, with a camera, with a toolbox, with kitchen equipment, with a sewing kit, with a rock garden, with an art kit, with your lunch supplies, with your Saturday afternoon, or even with your grocery list. Let your kids show you just how creative they are. Give them opportunities to grow their brains and make connections. Ask your teen to document the next family vacation and allow them to choose the media, journal, pictures, video, etc. This form of storytelling involves creative thinking, memory, and communication. Have a 10-minute dessert-making contest with a few ingredients on hand. Do a food-tasting event, all of one favorite color. Or decorate a room for a birthday party by creating your own decorations. One of my daughters loves to make her own birthday cake. She will happily spend the day creating it. It doesn't matter what other people think about it. It makes her so happy every year just to des design and dream up this birthday cake. 
or construct a stage in your backyard to showcase dance, plays, music, science labs, or whatever your kids dream up. Give them a suitcase of costume clothes. Give them a toolbox of their own, maybe some appliances to take apart, preferably the old ones that aren't attached to anything. In whatever creative thinking outlet your child engages, you can offer the hope by restraining from making critical judgments on that art or activity. Don't evaluate it. Don't focus on the mess or the disorder. Just appreciate the creativity. Enjoy the color. Use the woodcraft they make. Since mine are getting are grown up now, I was remembering back to when they were younger um, in elementary and middle school, and they really loved to just get out the dress up clothes and create and imagine things and stories. And when my grandfather was no longer um, mobile, he would just sit in a chair in the living room and watch the kids play because he could still engage with them, um, even though he couldn't move around a whole lot. And they would just incorporate him into whatever little stories they were doing. And it seemed really natural to them. There's grandpa. Let's engage him in a story. And I just love um, the freedom that they had to express themselves creatively, that they were just, you know, using whatever supplies and resources and people were around to put into their story. That's great. I love hearing that. It sounds like creative thinking on the parents' part we need to step back and let the kids kind of take charge. So in homeschooling, in the homeschooling community, we call what you're describing interest-led learning. And that is something that we homeschoolers, but any parents can use to just spark that interest again in, in learning and developing. And for parents, it can be difficult because, you know, we like to, to be in charge and make sure that our kids are, are doing what they need to do. And this is kind of a, a 180 where we're letting our kids be in charge. So how can you reassure those parents that are a little nervous about doing something like this? Well, I think that, you know, if you let a five-year-old make you lunch, it's really not going to be too bad. It can't be, you know, maybe you're going to eat marshmallows to go along with your sandwich. <laughs> but, you know, the idea of just enjoying that part, like you said, not judging them and um, being interest-led in that. I remember the first time um, as a nanny, the mom said to me, hey, tomorrow when you come, my son wants to make you lunch. And I was like, what kind of a joke is that? But then I realized it wasn't really a joke. She was telling me that he really wanted to do something nice for me and he wanted to make me lunch. And so those were some very early experiences I had um, as a teenager of just getting creative with kids and um, just enjoying things that I wouldn't like you said, wouldn't naturally do the first thing is let the kids take over the kitchen or things like that, because sometimes we want order or we don't want to spend the time doing that. Right. So let's talk about some other real life examples using creative thinking to reinforce uh, educational concepts. My favorite one is murals. Murals help tie things together, especially in social studies. I've been known to spread those long rolls of paper all the way down a hallway at school and assign every kid a section of the paper, but also a part of a narrative to draw. So they had to talk to the person on either side of them to find some object or way to tie or blend their scenes together. Maybe it was a tree or an ocean that could be in both scenes. And it's not really about the artistic skills. It's about the communication and the creativity. 
even one child drawing three scenes um, in history, like three parts of a historical event um, or of a book um, on a piece of paper and finding a way to tie together the beginning, middle and end scenes, that's a mural. And I'm not judging the art, but if it's a king, the stick figure should at least have a crown. And it's okay as parents and educators to set a little bit of criteria um, if you want on these kind of things. But once I explained to my students what a mural was and how each one tied together, they got so excited because then they wanted to see what the next group was doing and how they were tying theirs together. And so it brought a lot of um, spontaneous uh, communication and discussions. I was also thinking about that egg drop experiment in science, you know, where kids design a way to keep an egg from breaking. Those logical kids are usually come up with some design that's highly technical, but isn't easily built in a few minutes. And in theory, they would probably win if they had enough time to design whatever was in their head um, for that egg. But you know those creative kids, that one who stuffs the egg between two pillows and then zips it all up in a sleeping bag and chucks it out the upstairs window before you even realize that they knew how to get the screen off the window? They win because they are so excited. They got their creative brain juices flowing and their legs were running and they were not at all inhibited by the idea that this might not even work. They just want to try it and creativity served them well. Another thing you can do is rewrite math story problems to include a child's name or their interest. Suddenly you've engaged their creative side and now they're looking at all those math story problems different. I spent a whole year with a tutoring client changing every math story problem to include penguins and he was really engaged in that. You can read poetry together. You can have a poetry picnic. There's that magnetic poetry that you can put on your fridge. We have some of that at our house, and I find that guests are even in, as intrigued as my children are about making crazy sentences and poems on my fridge. You could host friends in the backyard for a poetry slam. To practice creative thinking in language arts, you can write a word on the board such as happy um, and give students uh, a marker to come up um, or on a piece of paper if you're doing this at home to write a synonym and then to pass the marker or paper off to another student to add to the list. If you want to add a bit of fun to that activity, you could put two words down and have teams with different color markers and race to see who can come up with the most synonyms. You can also do this with test reviews where you put a topic on the board and each person has to add a fact that's not on the list and then pass the marker off and the next person comes up. In my tutoring area, I have a lot of small whiteboards and colored dry erase markers, and we do this um, individually, one-on-one -on -one with kids, and they have a lot of fun coming up with different things or using different markers, and you're really engaging that creative side of just picking a color marker <laughs> to go along with the educational side. It's just different. Um, I did want to say a side note uh, that there is much to be said about having time limits on things and also unlimited time. I think that both of these uh, need to be practiced and they both have their time and place. And if your child is super stressed about um, having a time limit, then definitely throw a tiny bit of that practice in every now and then, but do a lot of unlimited time things and, you know, vice versa, depending on what, where your child's at. There's also those kids who struggle every time there's a blank piece of paper and they just can't get started on that writing assignment because they just don't know what to write. 
So I find quick word association is kind of fun where I say a word and then you say the first thing you think of and then I immediately say another word. Then the kids want to stop and analyze what they said and I just make them keep going. <laughs> I just want to practice um, quick jump start of their thinking. You do this for a few times and then you give them a writing prompt and you just tell them just to write one sentence that comes to mind. And you just keep practicing these little successful moments and then you can move into bigger chunks because we know that just getting them to write that first sentence, even if they don't keep it, is half the struggle. And that creativity can help them see it's possible. So Natalie, are you willing to try a little game with me? If I say a word and you just say the next word that pops into your head, here we go. Red. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Natalie, you did great. You thought about that word. Let's try again. Here we go. I love it. Okay. Sweet. Strawberry. Pizza. Topping. Snow. Christmas. Red. Heart. F-A-S-D. Out of the box. Hope. Jesus. Good job, Natalie. Wasn't that fun? <laughs> it was, except I really had to think that first one. <laughs> but that's okay because, see, you have given your listeners hope now that if they stall on the first one, it's okay. You just keep trying. <laughs> well, and thank you for encouraging me to keep going. <laughs> so let me give you just a couple more, um, two more ideas with this is another fun idea is to wear a costume and act out some history. I found that sometimes for me as a teacher, history was not um, a subject that I was super excited about. And so later when I polled my students and I asked what subject they thought I did the best at, they would say history. And I was like, what? I don't even love history. But it's because I chose to make it creative and fun so I would enjoy it. If we were talking about a, a king, I had this great Burger King crown that I had and whoever was the king, he could wear the crown and then I would draw their names out and I would just randomly assign whoever else was in our textbook and it was fun and we had a lot of fun and we would read through the textbook and if it was your turn to read, you could act like that character and walk across the room and we fought a lot of battles and did a lot of fun things just by acting out some of the history in our textbook. You could write a song to review learning concepts. Um, you can color code a review sheet with red, yellow, and green according to what your child does or doesn't know or needs to review. Um, again, the review sheet might be necessary for school, but the color coding just makes you think about it differently and adds some creativity. You can draw a map in the driveway with chalk. You could have each family member design a family workout. Just do something different. Make learning hands-on. Make it different. Let your child suggest a creative twist. As parents, um, homeschool parents or teachers, if you can, offer the possibility of choice. Does it always have to be just one assignment or could there be choices? Students are often more engaged when they can choose the format or the product. Take into account their skills, abilities, and interests. Set some criteria and offer choices if you can. Offer choices. I love that. So interest, focusing on interest, being a detective mm -hmm. and watching your child or your teen and, and observing and then having another pair of eyes 
and focusing on making, having spontaneity and making things fun again. I love it. So Jennifer, it is always awesome to talk with you and we are going to be wrapping things up on this lovely discussion about creative thinking. At the end of every episode, I like to offer a hope takeaway. At the end of every episode, I like to have a hope takeaway for our audience. Uh, just kind of wrapping up what we talked about and and letting them take a nugget of hope with them from our conversation. What are some things that you can offer and share with those parents or caregivers out there who want to encourage their children and teens and even young adults to think differently and to be creative in their thinking? Well, parenting a child with FASD or any learning difference itself takes huge amounts of creativity. Sometimes that's just to get through dinner or bedtime. Some of your listeners could probably offer some really creative solutions to problems they'd face. But my first tip is don't get so caught up in the problem solving for the weaknesses that you forget to get creative with the strengths and encourage your child's gifts. The second takeaway is take a chance. Step outside your comfort zone and encourage your child to do the same. Think of that element of surprise. Try some chili pepper and cinnamon in your chocolate breakfast smoothie. Your shake, not your child's. Eat a meal of all orange foods and discuss it. Act out a history lesson. Build a birdhouse. Be a bird. Take a bird's eye view. And lastly, can I just take a minute to say that as parents and teachers, we need to apply these same tips to ourselves. Get yourself a creative outlet. Take note of your own strengths and weaknesses. Give yourself permission to try something new, to spend time and maybe even invest a little bit of money in a creative outlet for yourself. You will be a better parent and teacher if you take care of yourself too. Get some sleep, get some exercise, eat healthy, flex your creative and critical thinking skills. Hang your artwork on the fridge next to your child. Dust off your musical instrument. Shout out to one of my neighbors who's been playing his guitar and singing on his back porch these past few months. I haven't heard that in the past seven years of living here, but during COVID, I think people have had a little bit of time to get creative and do some things that they might not normally do. Equally, a shout out to a creative parent three houses down the other way, whose child is obviously learning clarinet, and the parent must have told the child that it would be really creative to practice on the back porch, not inside the house. Fortunately, I'm hearing lots of improvements for both of these guys. But the biggest takeaway is just to go for it, just to try it, do something new, do something different, and enjoy this creative thinking um, times along with your child. And I think it will inspire hope in both of you. Jennifer Donaldson, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to reach out and find out more or just learn more about what you are doing? You can find me and my contact information um, at education.taylorjoy.com. And I think that you will have linked that um, on the podcast information as well, but that's where you can find me. We'll have your information in our program notes. We will also have it on our website, which is fasdhope.com. 
Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.